0: Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. If you've ever talked with a gardener who uses the excrement of worms around their plants, well, you might just be familiar with their wide-eyed look of rapture, talking about all the benefits of using, well, to put it more politely and accurately, worm castings. Today, we will dig deep into the Farmer Fred audio archives to hear gardeners sing the praises of raising worms and using their output, if you will, in the garden, a practice known as vermicomposting. Now, you may remember back on episode 19 of the Garden Basics podcast, we talk with soils expert Steve Zion. And back then, he got kind of carried away talking about his fondness for worms and worm castings. And uh, those are my pets right now. <laughs> we used to have cats, but now we've got worms. Uh, they're actually sitting about uh, three feet behind me. I'm sitting here in my office. And uh, they make excellent compost. And the, the real advantage of this material is the biological content. The numbers of organisms in this material is much, much, much greater than conventional compost. You can hear that entire conversation about Worm Bin Basics back in Episode 19, which was released on June the 12th. But today, the other members of the Worm Castings Choir chime in with their high praise for the lowly worm. From way back when, 2004, we talk with best selling author Amy Stewart. From 2017, Sacramento County Master Gardener and Vermicomposting Specialist Susan Muckey. And just recently, organic educator Giselle Schoninger, who works for a company, Kellogg Garden Products, who just happens to be selling worm castings. Shall we go play with the worms? Let's do it. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Leading off will be a chat with a New York Times bestselling author who in their past was a noted garden writer, but is now more famous for her series of books about the cop sisters, which are based on the true story of one of America's first female deputy sheriffs and her two rambunctious sisters. The books are in development for a TV series. We're talking about Amy Stewart, who gardeners may fondly remember as the author of several horticultural bestsellers, including The Drunken Botanist, Wicked plant plants flower confidential and many more including one of her earliest efforts the earth moved published back in 2004 it's a book about worms and raising worms and using worm castings now a couple of warnings back when this was recorded i still had hair and amy stewart lived in eureka california neither is no longer true she's now in portland oregon and i now always wear a hat But despite its age, it's good information delivered by a person who's obviously knowledgeable and enthused on the subject of worms. So let's go up to drizzly Eureka, California, where old Volkswagen vans go to rust away. Today we're in Humboldt County in Eureka. Hi everybody, it's Farmer Fred, Fred Hoffman. And you know what worms can do for your garden? They can do amazing things. I'm here with a a worm raiser, garden columnist, and all-around good gardener, Amy Stewart. And she has just come out with an excellent book about worms.
1: It's The Earth Moved on the Remarkable Achievements of Earthworms.
0: And it isn't just a how-to book of how to have worms in your garden and how to raise them and and harvest what they make. But it's also an interesting sort of history of worms and how they got here and the good guys and maybe even the bad guys of worms. And why don't we get that out of the way first? You have actually done some research and found that in some areas of the country, worms can be a pest.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, Minnesota is a really good example of that. Um, what I found, I traveled to Minnesota and talked with some forest ecologists there who have noticed that non-native worms like night crawlers and red wigglers um, come into the forest and chew up the duff layer, you know, that kind of spongy layer um, where seeds germinate and where plants really start to grow right on the surface. And they just consume that entire duff layer. They can eat the leaf fall of a forest um, every year. And it changes the composition of the forest floor and changes what plants can grow there
0: I would think the understory would be the first thing to go
1: exactly understory plants and baby seedlings and even even here in Humboldt County you know we're standing right here in my backyard which was probably a redwood forest at one time right native earthworms native Californian worms probably aren't to be found in this backyard but I do dig up lots of European
0: worms where are native earthworms found in California? Everywhere or in just specific spots these days?
1: Well, they're only going to be found in areas that have been left completely undisturbed. So um, parks and in any place where we've built neighborhoods, you're probably not going to find native earthworms. The other thing is we don't really know a lot about native earthworms in California because, believe it or not, there's not a lot of people out there digging them up and studying earthworms. But um, definitely probably not in your own backyard. The worms in your backyard are probably European worms.
0: And they got here, I would imagine, uh, via the settlers who came in.
1: That's right. In the roots of potted plants, um, even horses' hooves, you know, uh, ships' ballast. So they have all kinds of ways of getting around with us.
0: There has been a lot of talk, and we've talked about it on the show, about the benefit of worm castings. And for those who may have missed uh, those times we've talked about it, uh, tell people about worm castings and the benefit they are to a garden.
1: Well, I really encourage people to think about uh, worm castings as a soil inoculant because they're so full of beneficial bacteria, protozoa, nematodes, fungi. I mean, there can be a billion living creatures in a handful of worm castings. So a a little bit goes a long way. It's a very powerful soil amendment. And I really recommend just adding a little bit right at the roots of potted plants as you're, you know, planting your fall garden, for instance.
0: I'm kind of anal. When you say a little bit, are you talking about a teaspoon, a tablespoon, or what?
1: I'm talking about maybe a handful.
0: Okay, so a handful. That's exact. (laughs) (laughs) So a handful of of the worm castings in a hole when you plant. In fact, uh, you urge people in your book to maybe get away from rototilling their garden every spring because it disturbs uh, the earthworms to a great deal. And uh, you have another method for planting, the the no-till method, and using some interesting coverings. Why don't you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, I use um, cover crops in my garden a lot, and um, this is especially something that you can do if you don't get a real hard freeze in the winter. But um, even then, if you plant early enough, you can do this. Where you plant uh, maybe fava beans, uh, vetch, Uh, ryegrass, in any empty spot in your garden where you're not going to be planting, where you're going to let it have a little rest. So the roots go down very deep, help break up clay soil. Um, A lot of those, uh, you know, something like veg will really help to fix nitrogen in the soil and prevent soil erosion. And then just chop that down in the spring and let it decompose. Let the roots decompose underground and you're ready to plant.
0: In some books or literature you may see about cover cropping in the spring to cut it down and then till it in. But uh, that's not necessarily such a great idea, is it?
1: No, a lot of people now are just saying there's no need to till it in. Just uh, just leave it there on the surface and the roots will gradually decompose underground and help keep that fragile community of microorganisms intact underground.
0: You talk about in your book when you're doing that in the fall after you've uh, torn out your summer garden is to put in a layer of newspaper as well. Uh, how much newspaper would you put in and then put, well, I guess, compost on top and then the cover crop? Uh, exactly how would you go about that
1: Um, I use 10 to 20 sheets of newspaper or um, or cardboard you know when, when I moved into this house we had a lot of cardboard boxes so this is a great way to start a start a new garden for the first time lay down many overlapping layers of cardboard and then start piling compost and manure on top of that you could even plant a cover crop on top of that and gradually the worms will come up and eat the cardboard and the whole thing will sort of come together and create this light fluffy layer that you can plant right into in the spring
0: so it only takes a couple of seasons that if you did that in the fall, that ground would be ready to uh, plant in the spring.
1: Sure, yeah. A lot. The garden we're standing in, I did a lot of this garden that way.
0: Are there any restrictions as far as what sort of newspaper to use in, in such a process?
1: You know, most newspapers are using soy-based inks right now, so the inks are a lot safer. Of course, I don't use any glossy paper, but um, I don't think there's a problem with uh, small colored photographs, for instance, on newspaper.
0: You know what's great about... Uh, raising worms to get the worm castings as you don't need a lot of space, uh, Tell us about your little setup on your back porch.
1: Well, I've got a worm bin called a can of worms. And this is a bin that you can buy commercially. And uh, it's quite small. I mean, wouldn't you say it's about the size of an ordinary garbage can? Maybe not even that large.
0: It's smaller than that.
1: Yeah. Um, And it has three stacking trays so the worms can move up. It's sort of like a worm condo. You know, they can move up and down through these three layers. And uh, it's the easiest thing in the world to walk out the kitchen door, dump uh, food scraps in there, and then pull out castings whenever I need them for the garden.
0: And again, you would just use those castings uh, in a planting hole. You wouldn't have to buy yards and yards of worm castings to uh, spread uh, throughout a garden area.
1: That's right. And in fact, you know, it really isn't going to do your garden a lot of good to spread worm castings on the surface. Um, they do have a tendency to sort of dry out and oxidize. They're really best for being underground. So this is great when you're planting new plants or if you want to sort of work some in around existing plants. Really, really be sure and get it underground and maybe cover it with a layer of mulch.
0: What about the um, liquid products that people are now uh, manufacturing using worm castings, Uh, worm tea, I guess? Um, Is that useful? Is that worth the effort?
1: It is useful. I have a, a compost tea brewer here that has a little um, bubbler, like an aquarium bubbler. Mm-hmm. So you can mix in worm castings with water and let it kind of brew for 24 hours. And what will happen is all those beneficial microbes will, their population will really explode in this damp, aerobic environment. And then you can use it as a foliar feeding, you know, spray it right on the leaves of plants. And uh, it's really supposed to help, uh, you know, plants um, grow faster, re- resist diseases, be better able to fight off pest infestation so yeah it's a great thing to do for your garden
0: In your book, you talk about uh, doing some research as far as uh, the benefits of worm castings, that uh, there is some thought that maybe uh, worm castings can ward off plant disease and pests. Uh, What have you found out in that regard?
1: Yeah, I talked to a researcher at Ohio State University. This is one of those rumors. Believe it or not, there are like worm chat rooms out there on the (laughs) Internet. (laughs) So this is like one of those crazy urban legends about worm castings is that they will help Um, Get rid of aphids and whitefly, which, you know, we're all looking for. Yeah. Um, And so I asked Dr. Edwards at the at Ohio State University about that because he does a lot of research on earthworms and agriculture. And he said, you know, there really may be something to that. They have done some greenhouse experiments where they have seen that plants grown in soil that's rich in worm castings really do seem to be left alone by those sucking insects like uh, aphids or like whitefly. I use them on my roses. I haven't had a big problem with aphids since I started doing it. It's one of those things that it can't hurt to try, mm-hmm. but uh, the the research isn't quite there yet.
0: You also talk about in your book that there are some plants that worms will shy away from, maybe even run away from, if they could possibly run. And uh, one of those is uh, wasabi?
1: oh that's right they hate wasabi and they hate mustard Um, earthworm scientists know all these tricky ways to get worms out of the soil if they want to do an earthworm census and one of the ways to do that is to sort of impregnate the soil with uh, mustard or wasabi but you know that that'll bring a lot of stuff up to the surface i don't think anybody wants to live in that environment
0: there are a lot of farmers and backyard gardeners who will use mustard as a cover crop, especially for its beautiful show of flowers in late winter and early spring in the Sacramento area, but uh, that won't be doing the earthworm population much good, will it?
1: Well, I, don't, I doubt that the roots of a mustard plant are really as concentrated as a mustard product made from the seeds, so I, I don't think it discourages worms too much to use mustard as a cover crop.
0: What do you feed the worms, by the way?
1: Oh, good question. Um, they're not very picky eaters. Uh, I'll tell you what they don't like. Um, Um, They don't like anything too spicy, so I don't give them onions, garlic, uh, chili peppers. Um, They don't like meat. Uh, dairy any kind of fat will get very rancid in the bin so you want to leave that out so lots of vegetables Um, all your vegetable trimmings they love fruit and I think probably the reason for that is there's a lot of sugars in fruit which attracts a lot of bacteria and that's actually what the earthworms are eating they're not really eating the banana or the mango that you drop in the bin they're eating all the little microscopic creatures that are eating the mango or the banana Um, they'll eat paper so I always put lots of shredded newspaper or shredded computer paper coffee grounds tea bags um, plain pasta or rice so there's plenty that you can feed them
0: and how important is the moisture level in a worm composting bin?
1: It's very important because that's how earthworms breathe. They need uh, Their skin needs to be damp in order for them to breathe. They don't have lungs. They breathe through special cells in their skin. So it needs to be about as damp as a wrung-out sponge. If it's too wet, they'll come to the surface the way you see worms mass on the sidewalk after a rainstorm because they're in search of air. Um, and if it's too dry, they just can't survive. So it is important to really watch dampness. And, of course, that's really affected by heat as well. All.
0: Speaking of heat, it does get warm in Sacramento. Here in Humboldt County, uh, you're lucky to get over 75, so you can probably raise just about any worm you want. But in the Central Valley and in areas where it does get quite warm, warm, is there a worm that can tolerate the heat better than others?
1: Well, actually, the worm that's most popular for composting, the red wiggler, which is Latin name Mycenae fetida, is pretty tolerant of a lot of different conditions. It's a very forgiving worm, which I think is one of the reasons it's become so popular for home worm composting. And um, just make sure that your bin is completely in the shade, that it gets no sun at all. And if you want to bring it into a uh, basement or a garage, keep a thermometer there and really keep an eye on it. Because some people's garages get a lot hotter during the day than they might realize.
0: Well, Amy Stewart, thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks for the tour of your garden. And again, the name of your book is?
1: The Earth Moved on the Remarkable Achievements of Earthworms.
0: Published by?
1: Algonquin Books.
0: And available at a bookstore or, or online near you. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. The Fair Oaks Horticulture Center is a garden gem. It's run by the Sacramento County Master Gardeners. The center includes a water-efficient landscape demonstration, an orchard, which includes fruit bushes, a table grape vineyard, berries, extensive berries, blueberries, blackberries, so much more, a vegetable and herb garden, and an extensive display of composting systems, including vermicomposting. The Fair Oaks Horticulture Center is in Fair Oaks Park, right next to their community garden. And the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center is only open at certain times, though. So do an internet search for the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center for more details and plan a visit sometime. But from 2017, here is our chat with Master Gardener Susan Muckey, about their worms and worm bins. Hi, it's Farmer Fred. We're at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. It's open garden day on this Saturday in May, and I'm over in the composting center talking with Susan Muckey, Master Gardener. We're over by the worm bin, and we're going to talk a little bit about vermicomposting. Now, this is a little different. This is uh, looks like to be an old uh, wooden wagon that you've got your worms in.
2: Yes, one of our Master Gardeners' husband yeah, built this, so and uh, actually she had taken a her old sandbox from her children and and done that at home and you can see you can't see a picture here but you can see a picture here and so that's where they got the idea and it works really really great. We fill it with uh, pine shavings and it takes all of our kitchen waste and it works really really well. The worms just eat everything up.
0: For those that don't have a screen on their radio I'll describe uh, this container for you. It, It looks to be a wooden box that's about uh, 18 inches wide maybe 2 feet wide by about 3 feet long and it looks to be about uh, 12 inches or so deep.
2: Right and we also when you're making a worm bin you don't want to make it too deep because the worms basically just live on the, the top of the soil and so it doesn't need to be like a regular compost bin which would be three by three by three and this works really really well. This particular bin has wheels on it so that we can move it, if we were to need it to move it, because it gets kind of heavy. Uh, an interesting fact about compost worms is five pounds of worms will eat about 200 pounds of kitchen waste in a month. In a month? In a month,
0: yes. So remind me not to get five pounds of worms. Uh, I probably should start with one pound of worms. Exactly.
2: So. And when we sell our bins, which we do at, at our harvest day, we have a 10 gallon Rubbermaid container and uh, we give you just a handful of worms and that's really enough to start your worm bin, a small worm bin.
0: Now we should point out that there was a lid to this, a hinged lid, and uh, why do worms need to be covered?
2: Well, they're very shy, they don't like the light, and um, so especially if, if we were to lift the lid off, then the worms would take a nosedive down to the bottom because they don't like the light.
0: And it also keeps out skunks and raccoons and possums. That's right. Or birds that particularly like... So what all is going into this vermicomposting bin? You said you started off with shavings,
2: right? We start off with pine shavings. You could start off with uh, shredded newspaper. Um, you you just don't want to use redwood shavings. You don't want to use uh, cedar shavings because those are sort of that um, they're they're against the the insects, and so they they would probably repel the worms. They don't mm-hmm. like that. But if you go to a uh, like Sheldon Feed. Or any of the feed stores you can get a huge uh bale of, of shavings and make sure it's either pine or fir, and and you just dump it into your bin you moisten it because the the worms have sort of a slimy coating on them and they need to be able to slither through the bedding and so you you moisten it and then you just start adding your your uh vegetable scraps from your your kitchen things that you're not eating
0: so if you didn't want to use pine shavings you could uh, as you mentioned use uh, shredded newspapers or or shredded plain white paper you could use shredded newspaper we're we're really not heading towards the regular paper
2: Uh, we're just finding out now that uh, laser print has kind of a um, an oil base that's Mm. an oil base and so we're saying probably don't use that in your in your worm bin or in your compost pile Uh, Um, We're saying just maybe newspaper and laser print paper, or not laser, but um, inkjet paper or printed paper is probably okay because the ink is soy-based and that's okay. You just don't want to use shiny advertisements Mm -hmm. uh, in your worm bin or in your compost bin, your regular compost bin.
0: All right. So we've got the bedding for the worms and we're feeding them kitchen scraps what are the foods out of our kitchen we should not be putting into this bin with the worms?
2: They do not like citrus because of the oil on the rinds affects them. They don't like that. Uh, we don't put any garlic. We don't put pineapple. Pineapple too acidic. And we also don't put onion in there.
0: I have noticed that with my own vermicomposting bin that you can pretty well tell what they will eat and what they won't eat because when you come back a, a week or two later and you still see that orange sitting there or even a whole banana peel, uh, you realize, well, maybe I should have cut that up into smaller pieces.
2: Right. And and another thing that's interesting is the worms will uh, eat all the foods around the stickers. And i found <laughs> a lot of vegetable stickers because I forgot to take them off. Uh, they particularly like to, we call it cuddling in the avocado uh, skins. And so you'll pick up an avocado skin that you threw in there and you'll find a whole crowd of them just, just having a party. Now, but they will eat avocados, but they won't eat other citrus. That's right. Wow. Well, we don't put the flesh in there. Oh, okay. We only put the skin in because mm. we ate the flesh.
0: Yeah, okay. All <laughs> right. That makes sense. Now, one thing we didn't point out about this bin, and it's true for any vermicomposting bin where you have worms, it needs drainage because they produce a lot of liquid. And where does that liquid go? What do you do with the liquid? Well,
2: in this particular bin, because it's made out of wood slats, it's got natural drainage built in. And also it has wheels on it, and it's got another section that kind of keeps it off the ground. When we sell our worm bins, we put holes in the bottom, and we tell people to put their worm bins up on bricks or on mm-hmm. 2 by 4s or 6 something because you don't want to drown your worms.
0: How big are the holes are you drilling in this? Quarter inch. Quarter inch. Right. And you still have all the liquid and where does the liquid go? Is it just going to the ground below or can you save that liquid and do something with it? Well,
2: the, the bin that I have, I call it an a comp, um, apartment complex and so it has several layers and there's, there's one layer at the bottom that doesn't have any holes in it at all and so all the liquid drains down and it's actually got a spigot on it mm-hmm. and, and so I can take that and dilute it and use it in my uh, I wouldn't use it in my vegetable garden but I would probably use it in my landscaping and it's it's you can I would dilute it and then you just use it why wouldn't you use it in vegetables I would I would be concerned like on lettuce or something like that mm-hmm. if there's anything that you know might be harmful uh, we're not really sure and so there hasn't been enough research done on it yet to for us to say yes use it in vegetables.
0: Now the reason for having worms eating your kitchen garbage is what they produce. What do they produce? Where is it? What do you do with it?
2: They produce the most wonderful looking, it looks kind of like soil and I I never really was into composting until I saw what happens through the months. When you take a banana peel and then it turns into this gorgeous rich compost you go, I'm a believer. And so it's extremely high in um, a lot of uh, microorganisms. It also has a lot of nutritional value and um, it's it's probably almost like bat guano. It's a very high form of, of a soil amendment.
0: And it's called worm castings and people use it perhaps as a thin layer, of as, as a topping, maybe but put mulch on it. You don't really want to leave it on the soil surface, do you? No,
2: because it's it really dries out. And I use it actually a lot in my, my tomatoes. I found I just take a scoop of worm compost mix it into the ground and then put my tomato plants in and I, I really have no problems with my tomatoes through the years. I mean, I just don't have any problems, and I think it's the worm compost.
0: One of the best foods for your plants that you can grow at home via the worms, a vermicomposting bin. You can see several examples of them here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Susan Muckey, thanks for your time today. Thank you. Finally, to sing the praises of worm excrement, okay, worm castings, is Kellogg Garden Products organic educator Giselle Schoniger. I know that G&B uh, Organics, uh, part of the Kellogg line, has a product called Worm Grow, which is yes. earthworm castings. W- what is the deal with earthworm castings? Why are they so good for the soil?
3: Oh, God, that you just touched on one of my favorite products. So, our, so it's basically earthworm poop is what a casting is, or vermicompost is another name for it. And our product is made with worm castings, a small amount of forest humus, and... Um, seaweed or kelp. And the thing about worm castings is, you know, they will eat any of the um, organic matter or mineral base left in the soil. So any of the the leaves that drop to the ground, the, the vegetable matter that's in the soil, they will take that into their mouth, and they also take biology into their mouth at the same time. And on the back end, you're basically getting a super fortified, highly nutritious material, manure, that is also infused with beneficial living organisms. So the worm castings are typically three to five times higher than nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium on the back end. You know, so that so an earthworm casting, they're basically their manure is highly nutritious. It's infused with beneficial living organisms. It feeds, it's soluble, so a plant can use the nutrients right away. And it's just highly nutritious. It also binds soil together so that it will also retain more moisture. And it also minimizes insect and disease pressures in the garden. Why? Because the plant is so nutrient-fortified. I love our worm castings. And I recommend that people add worm castings every time they plant something into the ground.
0: Now, from what I understand with worm castings, a little bit goes a long way with the worm grow product. What are the application instructions?
2: You
3: know, really, um, I would say like, if you're putting a, uh, let's say you're putting a four inch plant into the ground, I'd put about three or four tablespoons right into that planting hole with your planting mix and with your fertilizer. Mix it right in and it'll just disappear into the soil. If you have a bug issue, you can mulch with worm castings all the way to the drip line to where the leaves are and where the, you know, the dew drops at the end of the the drip line around a plant. So you put the worm castings down about a half an inch to three quarters of an inch, and then you want to top it with another mulch. Worm castings can be like a duck's back; The water will bead off of it. So if you cover it with a thin layer of mulch over the top of the worm castings, water it in, within a couple of months, you'll start to see the insects like white fly leave your plant because there is an enzyme in the worm castings. It's called chitinase. And chitinase will break down chitin. And chitin is the exoskeleton of an insect. Sorry, that's a very difficult thing to explain, but an insect's exoskeleton is made of chitin. And if you have an enzyme that's going to break it down, that's in the worm castings, it is in mother nature's way of controlling certain pests in the garden.
0: Giselle Schoeninger, she's the organic gardening educator for Kellogg Garden Products. Find out more. You can visit their website, kellogggarden.com. Kellogg has two G's. For more information about their product lines of Soils, soil amendments, fertilizers, and much more. Giselle Schoninger, thanks for a few minutes of your time.
3: Thank you so much. I'm delighted.
0: Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's available just about anywhere podcasts are handed out. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and, uh, hey Alexa, play the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, would you please? Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.